Tonight, we remember the suffering and death of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus' death on the cross as a substitute for our sins is both the saddest and most glorious event in all of human history. And this, the time we remember as the darkest day in all history, is recorded for us in the Bible in not one, not two, not three, but four Gospels. Four separate and harmonious accounts of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Four Gospels which each in their own way share with us the good news of Jesus' sacrifice for us on the cross. God has given us four Gospels. Four wonderful Holy Spirit-inspired accounts of the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. Four Gospels focusing on the one Jesus. But each Gospel presenting Jesus with a particular emphasis. The Gospel of Matthew presents Jesus as King. The Gospel of Mark presents Jesus as Servant. The Gospel of Luke presents Jesus as the Son of Man. The Gospel of John presents Jesus as the Son of God. Tonight I want us to focus in on a short section of Matthew's account of Jesus' death. In his Gospel, Matthew emphasizes the kingship of Jesus, Jesus as King. And he does so right from the beginning. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 1. Feel free to use a pew Bible or your phone. Matthew chapter 1. We're going to end up in Matthew 27, but we're going to do a quick jet tour through the Gospel of Matthew, tracing Jesus as King. Matthew begins with this theme right out of the chute. In Matthew 1, 1, he says, the record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah. Messiah is a loaded term. It has all kinds of Old Testament significance. It means the Christ, the anointed one, the chosen one of God who would be the king to rule over all. The record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, here again, loaded terminology, the Messiah, the one who was to come, the the Christ, the one who would rule over all, would rule from the throne of his father David, would be a descendant of David, would be in the lineage of David. And here we see this one who is Jesus, the Messiah, is also the son of David, and he is the son of Abraham. Matthew then records for us the birth narrative of Jesus in the same chapter. How Mary miraculously conceived a child, though she was a virgin, and how an angel appeared to Joseph, who was betrothed to her, to reveal that the child that Mary was bearing in her womb was of the Holy Spirit. Look at Matthew 1.19. 
And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who's been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what, the, what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Then after Jesus was born, there were some visitors who came to pay their respects. Wise men, magi from the east, kingmakers came looking for the one who was born king of the Jews. Look with me at Matthew chapter 2. Verse 1, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him, gathering together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where Messiah was to be born. They said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." out of Bethlehem is going to come one who is a ruler who will shepherd the people. A king. Matthew chapter 3, we're introduced to Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, who served as the forerunner to the Messiah King. Functioning as the last of the Old Testament prophets, John the Baptist heralded the coming of God's Messiah King by declaring the words of Isaiah 40, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. In ancient times, when a king would visit a distant land, an advance team would go before him and make certain that the road was smooth and traversable for the king, removing impediments, taking the high places and leveling them off and filling in the low places. John the Baptist was announcing the soon coming of God's Messiah King. Jesus was then baptized by John in the Jordan River. And we hear this incredible testimony from heaven, the words of God himself regarding Jesus. In Matthew 3, 16, after being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water and behold, the heavens were opened and he, John, saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on Jesus. And behold, a voice out of the heavens said, this is my beloved Son in whom I I am well pleased. Jesus, after his temptation by Satan in the wilderness, began ministering publicly and preaching, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew 4 17. He's saying, The kingdom of God is here, it's near, it's at hand. God's kingdom was at hand. It had come with the arrival of God's 
Messiah King Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, God's Messiah King, manifested power over evil, the power of God over evil and disease as he went around ministering and teaching and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and he was healing all kinds of diseases. Look with him at Matthew 4.23. Matthew 4.23, Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Here's the king proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. So in healing all these things, he was proving that he was indeed God's son, God's king, and he's come to usher in the kingdom of God. The news about him spread throughout all Syria and they were bringing out to him all who were ill, those suffering with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Large crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Then in chapters 5 through 7, Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount declared the truths of the kingdom of heaven. He presented himself as Lord and King over this kingdom. In Matthew 7, 21 and 23, he refers to himself as Lord, King. Throughout Jesus' ministry, He taught many parables explaining what the kingdom of heaven was like and further pointing himself as king. Then just a few days before his own crucifixion, Jesus intentionally rode into Jerusalem picturing himself, presenting himself as God's rightful king on earth. Matthew 21 Matthew 21, verse 1. This is the passage that's known as Palm Sunday, right? Of of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Matthew 21, 1. When When the disciples had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village opposite you and immediately you're gonna find a donkey there tied with a colt untie them and bring them to me if anyone says anything to you you shall say the Lord has need of them and immediately he will send them this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet say to the daughters of Zion behold your king your king your king is coming to you gentle and mounted on a donkey even on a colt the foal of a beast of burden The disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them and brought the donkey and the colt and laid their coats on them and he sat on the coats. Most of the crowd spread their coats in the road and others were cutting palm branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. The crowds going ahead of him and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, Who is this? And the crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. After this, Jesus cleansed the temple. Matthew 21, 12. Jesus entered the temple. And he drove out all those who were buying and selling in the temple. And he overturned all the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. 
And he said to them, it's written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a robber's den. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he had done, and the children who were shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, a clear declaration, by the way, of Jesus' messianic kingship, they became indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what these children are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies? You've prepared praise for yourself. Jesus here is not only declaring himself to be the king with the rightful authority over Jerusalem, he's saying he is in fact God with rightful authority over the temple. Now, all of this I've shared with you so far serves as the backdrop for what we're going to see happening in Matthew 27, and particularly verses 27 through 31. The animosity of the Jewish ruling religious authorities have for Jesus here has reached a fever pitch. And they have already decided to get rid of Jesus one way or another. And they found in Judas a willing accomplice, one of Jesus' disciples. So for 30 pieces of silver, Judas betrayed Jesus with a kiss. Jesus was arrested. He was hauled off for a series of backroom trials carried out under cover of darkness. Jesus is tried by the Jewish religious authorities and they accuse him of heresy for claiming to be God's son. But there's only so much they can do. They don't possess, as Jews, the authority to have Jesus killed. They'll need the Romans for that. So they bring Jesus before the Roman authorities and they accuse him there of sedition that he claimed to be a king and thus was a threat to the Roman government. Look at Matthew 27, 1. Now when morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people conferred together against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him to Pilate the governor. Skip down to verse 11. Now Jesus stood before the governor, Pilate, and the governor questioned him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said to him, It is as you say. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and elders, he did not answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? And he did not answer him with regard to even a single charge. So the governor was quite amazed. Now look, join with me in verse 15. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the people any one prisoner whom they wanted. At that time, they were holding a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when the people gathered together, Pilate said to them, who do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that because of envy they had handed him over. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent him a message saying, have nothing to do with that righteous man. For last night I suffered greatly in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowds to ask of Barabbas to put Jesus to death. 
But the governor said to them, which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with Jesus who's called Christ? They said, crucify him. And he said, why? What evil has he done? But they kept shouting all the more, saying, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was accomplishing nothing, but rather that a riot was starting, he took water and he washed his hands in front of the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to that yourselves. And all the people said, His blood shall be on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas for them. But after having scourged Jesus, he handed him over to be crucified. And that brings us to this scene in Matthew 27, 27. The scene of a contemptuous coronation. Let me read it for you. Matthew 27, 27 through 31. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole Roman cohort around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And after twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. And they knelt down before him and they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spat on him and took the reed and began to beat him on the head. After they had mocked him, they took the scarlet robe off him and put his own garments back on him and led him away to crucify him. Take note with me for a few moments that we have together this cruel scene. Never in the history of the world has one who was deserving of highest honor been treated with so much contempt. Jesus, unjustly accused by the religious authorities, his own people, and now wrongfully condemned to crucifixion by the Roman, stands alone before a throng of mocking Roman soldiers. Jesus has been taken at this point under arrest to the praetorium, the fortress in which Pilate lived inside the walls of Jerusalem. The soldiers gathered the whole Roman cohort and they surrounded Jesus. Now, if it was the entire Roman cohort, it would have numbered around 600 soldiers. It was likely a smaller number than this, with some soldiers being off duty or simply not present, tending to other things. But this mob of Gentile soldiers likely numbered in the hundreds. Picture it in your mind's eye. They're going to have a bit of fun with Jesus. They're going to blow off some steam. They're going to take out some aggression. Most of the soldiers were foreigners. They were serving in a foreign land. Jerusalem was not their home. They detested so much of Judaism and the Jews, and they certainly hated anyone who threatened to rise up against the Romans which is how they viewed Jesus. They're going to take out this built-up aggression against this troublesome Jew. They knew the charges. Jesus had been accused of sedition for claiming to be a king. Oh, a king, eh? All right, well, let us have a coronation then. 
You want to be a king, Jesus? We'll make you a king right here and right now. Let the ceremony begin. First, they stripped Jesus of all of his clothing. Jesus has already been through a series of beatings. He's already been spat upon and mocked and hit. His own people, the Jews, have blindfolded him, spat upon him, punched him in the face and said, if you're the Christ, tell us who hit you. And now they publicly strip him of his clothes so that he stands naked before their leering gaze. Jesus stands alone. Now that Jesus is stripped and standing naked before them, he can be properly attired as a king. They placed a standard issue Roman soldier's cape around his shoulders. Mark and John describe the color of the robe as being purple, but the Greek word they use to describe the color of the robe can refer to colors ranging anywhere from sky blue to crimson. The emphasis seeming to be that it was a royal in style, that type of robe. Matthew's description of the robe most likely gets closer to the actual color of the robe, scarlet, as it was likely one of the Roman soldiers' cloaks. Now robed in red with the colors of Rome, the otherwise naked Jesus stands silently before the jeering crowd of soldiers. Next comes the crown. Normally, according to Roman custom, this would have been a laurel wreath, a symbol of victory, of honor, of power. But they would fashion a different kind of crown for Jesus. Taking some of the cuttings from a plant nearby, they fashioned a crown of thorns for Jesus and they placed it forcefully upon his head. The sin-cursed ground that in this fallen world produces thorns and thistles so readily, now produce this thorny crown. An unnatural crown which now so uneasily rested on the head of the one who spoke the world into existence. Next, they placed a reed, a stick or a staff of some kind in his right hand to mimic a royal scepter Now that their demeaning game of dress-up was complete, the Roman soldiers mockingly knelt before Jesus and they cried out sarcastically, Hail, King of the Jews! And they began spitting on him. And then they took the reed out of his hand and they began to beat him about the head. Verse 31 then tells us that after they had mocked him, They took the scarlet robe off him and they put his own garments back on him and they led him away to crucify him. We know that Pilate ordered an inscription to be placed on the cross above Jesus that read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Perhaps he did it to further mock Jesus. Perhaps he did it to goad the Jews. Whatever the reason, that sign testified to the reality of who Jesus truly is. 
While Jesus hung there, the mocking of Jesus' kingship continued. Look at Matthew 27, 41. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes and elders, were mocking him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe in him. The mocking of Jesus continued until the very end. Look at Matthew 27, 50. Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and he yielded up his spirit and behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth shook and the rocks were split. They mocked him till the very end. What we see here is in this scene the terrifying tragedy of mocking the true king. These Roman soldiers in their contemptuous coronation didn't realize that the one that they so mercilessly scorned was actually the savior of the world and the sovereign of the cosmos. The one they mockingly kneeled before and scornfully hailed as the king of the Jews was actually the king of kings and the Lord of lords. They did not realize that the one that they had hatefully spat upon and violently beat on the head was in fact God's own son who had come in love and mercy to rescue them from their own sin, disgrace, humiliation, cruelty, and eternal destruction. And as it was then, so it is today. Human nature hasn't changed a bit since those days. Like these Roman soldiers, so many people today tragically fail to realize who Jesus truly is. Some of them openly mock Jesus and his followers. Others simply ignore Jesus and go on with their lives as if he never existed. The reality is that both open hostility and passive indifference toward Jesus will result in the same tragic end eternal judgment for that is what our sin and rebellion deserve but thankfully not everyone goes down that path Matthew reminds us that there were even some of the Roman soldiers who, having considered all the events of that day, having watched Jesus and his responses, having seen the miraculous phenomenon surrounding the cross work of Jesus, they concluded rightly that Jesus must have been indeed who he claimed to be. Look with me at Matthew 27, 54. Now the centurion, Roman soldier, and those who were with him, other soldiers, keeping guard over Jesus, when they saw the earthquake and the things that were happening, the sky grew dark and even spirits were walking around, they became very frightened and they said, truly, this was the Son of God. Truly, this was the Son of God. That was the only conclusion they could reach. I'm not sure where you are tonight spiritually. Perhaps you've never really stopped and considered 
who Jesus really is and what that means for your life. Perhaps you have considered it and you've rejected it. Perhaps you've lived a life in scornful defiance of who Jesus is. Well, Jesus never helped me. Whatever the case, it's never too late to acknowledge who Jesus is and to confess that he is the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and the Roman centurion and those who are with him serve as exhibit A of that fact. It's never too late. As Jesus hung on the cross, they acknowledged who he is. These hardened Roman soldiers at the foot of the cross had no doubt seen their fair share of Roman crucifixions. But none of them had been like this one. No other condemned man had darkness and earthquakes and rocks being split at the moment of their death. This man was different from all the others. No other condemned man had cried out in agony from his own cross and said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Here is Jesus Christ. Here is mercy. Infinite mercy. Grace greater than all our sin. Demonstrated by those words of Jesus from the cross, Father, forgive them. The very ones who are laughing derisively, the very ones who are causing him so much pain, the very ones who'd surrounded him. And so cruelly put that crown of thorns on his head. Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Here is mercy, that the one who is deserving of all honor, praise, and glory extends mercy and pleads for forgiveness on behalf of the very ones who had mocked him so mercilessly. This is Jesus, the Son of God, who died for you. And this same mercy is offered by him to you today. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. Come, Jesus says. Come and find mercy. Come and find grace. Come and find forgiveness. If you will but receive and believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died for you and for your sins, and that God raised him on the third day, this forgiveness, this mercy, this grace will be yours. The same Jesus is the King of Kings. Won't you honor him as King today by bowing the knee of your heart? and placing your faith in him. He is the king, and he is worthy. Let's pray together.
our Lord Jesus Christ, we confess that you are the king. You are God's king, Messiah, the Christ, the son of God. And you in your life did not receive the praise and the honor and the glory and the acceptance that you deserved. And you willingly endured hostility, rejection, cruelty, You willingly endured that contemptuous coronation which the soldiers intended for abuse and grotesque, vile rejection. But in a sense, Lord Jesus, you were showing you truly are the king. And that crown of thorns was transformed into a crown of glory and honor on the cross from the tomb at the ascension. Lord Jesus, you took your rightful place on the throne next to the Father. You did it all for us. You did it for our salvation. You did it for the glory of your Father. You did it so that we might be saved. And we're so grateful as we remember you and gather around your table. Lord, we pray for those who may not know for certain if they're a Christian tonight. I pray that they would leave here knowing for certain and they would know for certain because they've trusted in Jesus alone to save them. May they turn to you in faith and believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. Lord Jesus, we love you and we remember your sufferings on our behalf. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.